Hello, and welcome to the What's Next podcast. My name is Liz Smith, owner of Liz Smith Law, and on this show, I share conversations to investigate building and leaving your legacy, estate planning for young families, supporting aging loved ones and parents, and other topics around aging, death, and other life transitions that will affect each of us. This is your source for hard-to-find resources in Southeast Alaska and beyond. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get each and every episode of our show. All right, welcome. With me today is Karen, and this is embarrassing, but is it Tassandor? Tassandor. Tassandor, that is such a good name. (laughs) Karen is based in Anchorage and founder of Counseling for Her, providing therapy to women 18 years and older statewide throughout Alaska. Her practice is for women, hence the name Counseling for Her, and she is inspired to help other women thrive in their lives. As she says, I enjoy working with high-achieving professionals to navigate the barriers in life, keeping you stuck, uncertain, and unhappy. Ready to move from having a life that only looks good on the outside to one that also feels good from the inside? then she's the right one for you. <laughs> on the lines of how I often put things in my blog and related to health coaching, and we happen to be friends, good friends for quite a while. So you can see some of the connection for anyone that knows both of us. And we started businesses around the same time frame. Both of those businesses really took us out of a prior career path that we had been on. So we've enjoyed tracking each other's process um, process in our own businesses. Um, and I've benefited tremendously from talking to you about the stumbling blocks, both in the business journey, but today I've asked you more specifically to talk about uh, transitioning in careers, which is something that you have personal experience with and professional experience. Um, and I have personal experience as well. I also think, you know, this podcast is about life transitions, but I think this is a timely topic as we're recording in September 2021, well over a year and a half into a pandemic. Yeah. A lot of people are switching. It's it's amazing to see people realize that life's short and maybe they want to change. I've had two employees come to me from health sectors that after a year, year and a half, they're burnt out and fed up, stressed out, ready for a change, which I hope to provide. So uh, welcome, Karen. Thank you so much. And yeah, I have benefited from our conversations over the years too, in terms of, I don't know, all the behind the scenes things that go into starting a business and what, you know, the background I don't know, stressors and stuff that that the general public might not see. It's been so nice to share a journey with somebody who's, yeah, our, our businesses started very similar. Mine launched in, when was it? May 1st of 2018. And you must have launched, was it also 2018 or were you 2017? I think it was 2017. And for listeners, that was my health coaching business or practice, yeah. whatever call it. Um, and then 2019 is when I started Liz Smith Law, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, that kind of dives right into transitions in itself is the idea that you started one thing, you knew you liked the self-employed 
aspect, but then you're like, ah, the health coaching thing isn't, isn't hitting where I wanted it to. So then you were willing to shift again. So yeah, maybe once you start letting yourself know, I mean, not just you, but everybody, once you start letting yourself know that other things are possible, it kind of like works that muscle of like, okay, well, I can do other things. I can shift when I need to, or when I want to. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, part, a big part of my move was, was pain. I wasn't happy. And I felt like I was doing the right thing, working for government, had a good job with a lot of fear around leaving. Mm. Oh, I introduced Karen that you're a counselor now. Mm-hmm. I want to tell our listeners about your, I mean, I know that it's a new career for you, completely different. Whereas yeah. for me, I'm kind of taking a legal career, I guess, and just modifying it tremendously. But mm-hmm. uh, but. When did you start um, becoming a, a counselor and how did you get it? What drew you to it? Huh. When did I start becoming counselor? Okay. Well, I, for context, I'm 52 years old right now. And I would say I started becoming a counselor when I was 40. And the reason, and people might think, oh my gosh, how long does it take? But, um, but it's because that's when the glimmer of the idea came to me. And it took that long to get all the schooling that I needed before officially becoming a counselor, starting my practice in 2018. Um, So I was 40 years old. I had had, gosh, I'm trying to remember it so long ago now, but I had been managing a small business. I'd come out of like advertising world. And then I was managing a small business. I'd worked in nonprofits. Um, and at that point, maybe I had started again at another nonprofit doing a lot of kind of managerial administrative type of work. Um, but I just felt like I was limited in my choices and in my financial life. Um, I only had a high school education, which had done me just fine up until then. But I just, I have a distinct memory and it's probably because way back I used to keep a blog and I wrote about kind of the moment of decision for me. I was sitting outside. um, My daughter was volunteering at the animal shelter up here and I was sitting outside waiting to pick her up and was watching these little bunnies hop around in the grass. I'm thinking, oh man, those are some brave bunnies right outside where all these dogs are in this shelter. And started thinking about what, you know, if I were brave, what, what would I do? Like, in what way can I make a different life for myself? One where I enjoy what I'm doing every day and also making money for me and my family. Cause I just was tired of living paycheck to paycheck. Um, So it all kind of came together for me that like many therapists, I'm the person in my life when I look back that friends and family always come to, to talk to when they're upset about things. Um, And I love it. I'm, I'm like, you know, you hear about sunny weather friends that are only around when things are good. I'm kind of the rainy weather friend. Like if life is good and you want to like be doing your thing for a couple months and I don't hear from you. And then you come to me when you hit a snag. I'm still your friend and I, and I love to be relied on in that way. So I was like, all right, that maybe is an aptitude for me. Um, And I looked into it and it's definitely a good financial path. And then I thought, well, how in the heck do I get from sitting there with no college education to being a therapist, which I was pretty sure you needed a college education for, but I honestly didn't know. Um, And I would say that the other kind of piece to plug in there 
is when I was in my early 30s, I lost my dad abruptly. We were really close and he died. Um, and I'm sorry if that sounds abrupt to say, but it's been a long time ago now. But when that happened was the first time I ever went to a therapist and the process was so valuable. And I mean, I, she helped me through that huge transition, you know, life before and after having a dad. Um, she helped me through that. And then I would go back to her like, you know, a year later, I'd have some relationship thing going on or something else. And I could just go back to the same person who already understood my history and I was always just intrigued by the fact that I would go in with, I thought, you know, I thought it was like a whole bag of problems. Let me dump all these things out. And here's all these five things that are bothering me. And she would sit back and go, oh, it's, that's actually just this one thing. And I was like, what? And she was right. And I love that process. So I thought, man, if I could do that for somebody else. That would be amazing. So just to clarify, so you would have all these issues. I have all these problems. And she'd say, well, what's, the, she'd find the root, like yes. help find one thing causing. Yeah, she'd find the connection that like, really, it's all this one thing, which was always mind blowing every time, you know, and it's always easier to see somebody else's stuff than it is to see our own. So there's some of that there too. But um but yeah, so that, so when I was 40 years old, I decided I wanted to be a counselor. <laughs> After I told you the long story, the short version is then I figured out, okay, that's going to take a lot of school. So I had to get my undergrad. I was working full time. So that took me six years because um, I was losing my dad when he was as young as he was. I determined that through this long process, which I could see it was going to be about a decade, that I didn't want to give up the enjoyment of my life because you never know how long you're going to be here. Um, which is why people might want to come to you for your services. <laughs> you got to make some plans, right? Um, so, yeah, so I decided I was going to still enjoy my life, not do school in the summers. You know, I wasn't just going to like push through and, you know, I don't know, do it all the time. So it took me six years to do my undergrad while I was working full-time. I'm single. I had no choice but to work full-time. I don't have other financial resources or a spouse to help me with that. Um, and then I knew I had to do my master's degree. And so I did that right after that took two years and then launched my practice. And even still, I'm like still at a transition point where I still have my day job. I've been growing my practice for what, three, four years now and, uh, getting there. Yeah. Uh, and I want to talk more about that, but so people get scared, right? When they think about transitioning. And I mean, I was scared about leaving, I mean, a good job with a good education and still finding something else. But for you, 40 years old and setting out on, you know, college, was there a part of you that was scared? And knowing you, I just think, I find you a very brave and determined person, but was there some aspect of fear for you in making, starting that journey? I mean, the, the fear that I can point to most specifically, and I don't feel like I was walking around in fear, but the worry that I had was that I would, and again, framed, this might sound dark, but framed by the fact that I had lost my dad when he was so young, I, I, I had a very present awareness that you don't know, you, you, there's no guarantees for my health, for my family's health, all that kind of thing. 
Um, so how that came to me as a worry through school was that I would get partway through an education, not have a degree and be saddled with all the student loans that I was going to have to take out to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times for me, how fear manifests is that I get aggressively determined. <laughs> so, so there was once I decided that this was the goal there was no other route. I just had to keep putting one foot in front of the other and get there and hope that things were going to be fine for me and my family. And thank goodness I did get through a decade of school and starting my practice with no significant, you know, and I take care of myself health wise for that reason, because I was trying to get somewhere and I needed to stay healthy to do it. But, but also just, you know, luck, Really, there was nothing major that went on with my family or something that took me off that path, um, which there well could have been. So fortunate, fortunate in that way. And do you have, there's the, any, any guidelines for this, like the biggest question, far too broad, but people that are thinking about, because there is that different where you, at least you had your income, right, versus someone that just quits. And I think when I was making my decision and trying to figure it out, I know Seth Godin comes to mind as someone that I uh, follow. And he said that in his life, he, he had to shut doors mm. to make transition at one point in his career. Like he had to know that there was no fallback. Like he was in a hundred percent. Yeah. And I don't even know where my question is, except how do you kind of think about that, that like shut everything if someone's thinking about a transit career transition versus kind of dabble me. Well, I guess there's the dabble or there's the pursue things while the job. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I've always been fond of the saying, um, if you want to take the island, burn the ships. Like if, if you're, you're there, you know, I love that. That was just not practical for me. Um, and, and part of that is being single. I don't like many people who are shifting, have a spouse that they can rely on or places to cut back on expenses. I didn't, I've been working at a nonprofit. I was living paycheck to paycheck. I didn't have savings. I didn't, <laughs> there was no choice for me, but to keep working. And I felt only just this week, I was listening to the book, audiobook of um, How I Built This, favorite podcast, but he came out with a book and listening to him tell the story of Damon Johns, who is uh, on Shark Tank, one of my favorite people on Shark Tank. I didn't realize, even though I'm an avid watcher, that Damon worked at like, what was it, Red Lobster or something for four or five years while he was starting what is now is his multi-bajillion dollar business. Um, you know, he's working out of his house, had help with from his mom, from his friends, but he was going to his day job. And he said it started to shift as, you know, initially it was like 6% of his time in his new bench venture and the rest of his time, you know, and then it, the ratio started to shift, but I kind of feel bad that I didn't just jump and do the thing. So I love to hear stories. They're not usually put out there front and center because it's more, it's a better narrative to be like, I gave everything up. I maxed my credit cards. I did all this. That's, that's way more exciting. Right. But that would have been foolish for me. It would have put me in a very bad situation 
you know, I had a mortgage to pay and a daughter to finish raising. She's, I mean, she was nearly out of the house by the time I was doing this, but, um, but it just wasn't, wasn't an option. So I guess my version of, if you want to take the island, burn the ships was, I just decided that there was, this was my path. And once that decision was made, I never once have changed my mind since that moment of sitting in front of the animal shelter, watching those bunnies hop around. It became a question of not, can I do this, but how can I do this? And that question shifts everything. I'm just taking a moment, but then also I want to go back to what you said, which is fascinating that maybe there's some kind of stigma around. I think you said you feel badly that you didn't just totally quit everything <laughs> and leap. And, and it also in that story points out how we're so, what do they say that every, the days go by quickly, but you're, <laughs> I have it all wrong, but where you can you you overestimate what you can do in a week right but underestimate what you can do in 10 years yeah uh, and how it's so challenging in our own day-to-day to even think you know well if I'm only spending what did you say he was spending four hours a day or three percent six percent whatever it was a small little chunk that then leads to unbelievable places that you're just not going to get to if you don't start with those small Yeah, absolutely. Incrementally, it adds up. But I mean, our culture tells us that patience isn't a virtue. (laughs) I mean, everything I feel like that we're fed through our culture, at least here in America, is like fast success. But even the ones that we think we can look at that are fast successes, they're not fast. It takes time to develop things. And even if you're not looking at entrepreneurship, which, you know, for you and me is a passion, But even if you're just looking at how do I get out of one thing and into the next, especially if it's a big transition, like something completely left field, like from what I was doing to having a completely different path, it still requires some diligence and patience and picking away at it every day, which is why it's helpful that, you know, to not only feel like you're being pushed out of one profession because you're so unhappy with it, but to also have a sense that you're being called towards something else. I think there's a lot of value as you're unhappy in your current profession in taking some time to explore, okay, what calls to me, what's pulling me, what seems like, you know, an impossibly wonderful way to spend a day that that's where you want to find your profession. Because otherwise patience for its own sake is terrible. It's hard. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Well, of course, if you're like, I'm unhappy and so I'm going to try something else and then you don't like it and then are you worried about I mean that there there's so much there for someone that's that's trying to find and so you you weren't even necessarily unhappy but you thought well what's the brave brave option here and and here's something that is a good that I think I'd be interested in and it worked out for you whereas I came from that pain and, and wasn't sure at all. Um, one of the resources that I loved was listening to a book called Designing Your Life mm. by 
two Stanford professors and one is a, a design teacher and one does something else, I forget, but they talked about if you want something different, trying many, trying things out, right? If you want to start a restaurant, <laughs> maybe start a small catering business with a small investment before you invest all of your things um, in one area, you know, and find, and then decide, realize you don't actually like it. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, well, there's no way to kind of dabble in counseling. What I did do is start calling therapists who are in private practice to say, what, you know, is this job what I think it is? What does your day look like? Um, so informational interviews are a great way to start exploring if you're, even if you're not, you know, ready to find a direction yet, or, you know, I was listening to on how I built this. I think it was, maybe it was the woman that created Stacy's pita chips. I can't, I can't remember. I might be conflating her story with somebody else's, but she wasn't sure how to get a product into a retail space. So she went to work for like Whole Foods or something. She went to work at the grocery store and then talked to the buyers and then saw how products get into the store. And I'm like, wow, that that's great. Cause she's still circling in the world that she wants to be in, but she's learning things. She's having some income from it. She's got some insider knowledge then like, yeah, there's a lot of ways to shift that are not the, like, I'm going to scrap everything and go. But even for you, and I mean, I don't know if you want to get into this, but even for you, your unhappiness with your day job, you had that, but then you you also had another experience which called you into health coaching. So you had sort of that underlying passion and interest that was letting you move away and towards something. That's true. And that was, that was huge that I haven't. So just to share a little, I had while I was working full time, went through an online health coaching program, not the most rigorous compared to law school, but really amazing for me in my life. And it started helping me realize it started really giving me the idea that there was more out there, that maybe there was something I'd be really happy in my day to day and could have a, a life that I loved more, which, you know, there are people that are super happy with their state jobs. And that's, I mean, my husband's one of them and thank goodness, right. That he, he likes that, but it wasn't, it wasn't for me and doing this coaching. I, what I realized, I love the coaching aspect, working with people one-on-one, but I also found that by having a blog and doing research and starting to read more for, you know, blog posts or whatever, there was this creative energy that I just, I didn't have in my life. And I loved, I loved it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had an idea that I wanted to start a business. So you're right. I did have something I was going, going to, and didn't know if it would work out. Right. So there's the. Yeah. Um, other. Yeah. And I feel like too, um, for people listening who are there like, Oh, I don't know what I could do. Look to things that you enjoy and that seem easy to you. Cause I, I was talking to somebody once and realized that we have a feeling that when things are easy for us, they're not valuable. But if it's easy for you, that may be, that is your skill. That is the thing that you have to offer. I am stunned that people want to pay me money to sit and listen to them and walk alongside them through some of the hardest times in their life, because it's not always light and happy work, but it's a privilege. I, I always feel 
better about like, no matter what kind of day I was having, having before meeting with my clients, I always feel better after, you know, if I was involved in some kind of whatnot worry in my own life, I I don't know. I can't even think of what an example would be, but being so intensely involved with what's going on with another person and listening to their story and helping them along is just so gratifying and not hard work for me. So, you know, but if there are things like that, you know, in your life, it's easy to go, oh, well, it's not valuable, but it definitely is. It's just because we all have different skill sets. That wouldn't be the same. Like when you hear me describe my job, that might sound terrible to you. (laughs) I've had plenty of clients ask me like, isn't this awful? Just hearing all these stories. I'm like, no, it's a privilege, but that's because that's my skill. Not, not everybody's. And how do we find that? Because I think it is so hard. You know, what's easy for me, I don't realize it's hard for others. Mm -hmm. That's true in a lot of areas in life where, well, this is how it is for me. So I don't understand people have different reactions to things. Yeah. I mean, one thing I was trying to think, okay, there's one thing that I, or I guess two that are married that, that I always advise people to look at first when they're kind of at the beginning of this is one is to identify what your values in life are. And it's not something that we're usually asked to think about. Like, I think we should be asked to think about that at all different life stages. What are our values? Cause they change over time. Um, but starting with that, and there's a, but if you Google it, there's a bunch of exercises um, and I can give you Liz a link afterward to um, mm-hmm. on my website. Actually, I can just say it's at counselingforher.com backslash backslash values. It's not like a live link. It's a hidden link on my website, but there's just a values exercise. I didn't come up with it, but it's one that I like um, where you download this PDF you, and it's kind of fun. It's you, it's like nine pages of things and it's all these individual, almost like playing cards. Each has a different value on it, a different word that could be a value in your life. And you cut them all up and you put them all in a pile and then you just sort them by here's the things that are super important to me. Here's the things that are important and here's the things that are not important. And the idea is to do it pretty quickly and intuitively. Don't spend a lot of time agonizing over these. But the hard part is you want to get the things that are very important to you down to about six, eight, 10 at the most. That's very difficult. If you end up with 30 things in the pile that is very important to you, you you might have a clue as to why you're feeling so scrambled because not everything can rise to the top importance. Not You can't make everybody happy all the time. And, it, and you may be being pulled in too many different directions if that many things are important to you. But if you can start with identifying what your core values are, then... My other favorite exercise is to take those values and keep them in mind as you sit down with a piece of paper and write out what your perfect day would be. And I mean, like from the time that you wake up, like what room are you in? Is there somebody with you? What's the light like? What time of day is it? Where in the world are you? You know, who's, what food are you eating for breakfast? Who's preparing it? Is there an animal? You know, that kind of thing. And just walk slowly and really in a detailed way through what would be, what sounds like, oh, that would be amazing. And the caveat is that this has to be a day in which it includes paid work. 
part of how you're earning your living. It's not like a vacation in Hawaii, right? This is a, a normal day in your life where you are earning income to allow you to live this life and just try to map it out and don't have to worry too much about what the job is, but it can be like, are you working inside or outside? Are you working with paper? Are you working with people? Are you, you know, all that kind of thing. And then see how it links up to your values. You know, in what way does that perfect day line up with the values? Because I think it often will. You'll often see how those things that are really important to you are coming out when you let yourself daydream in that way. And from there, then it's a longer process uh, that I'm happy to help you with if you'd like. Um, But it's a longer process then of identifying, okay, what kind of job would get me that and how do I get there? And again, staying in the space of not, can I, because nobody's going to give you permission, but thinking to yourself, how can I, in what way can I make this life happen for myself? So can we dive in just a little more? Because I love values exercises, but I have trouble then actually applying them practically. Mm. Yeah. Do you, can you give an example of a handful of values that someone might have? I mean, even as. Yeah, let me just, I am navigating to my own website right now because I actually have my values listed on my website for people. So let's see, how many did I narrow down to? Four, five, six, seven of them, I think. So, and some of these I bet will resonate with you as well as. So one of my values is being authentic, being true to who I really am um, and being able to express myself. I don't like to be in situations where I have to dress a certain way or speak a certain way or only when I'm asked or that kind of thing that really chafes for me. Um, Autonomy is one of my values, Um, being self-determined with my life and, and what I'm doing with my days creativity, like you mentioned, the blogging and all the different creative choices we get to make in our businesses. That is huge for me. I see myself, I mean, I have been forever an artist in all sorts of different mediums, but my creativity right now is going into my business and all the different things I get to select there. Um, And some of the other ones that are on my list are growth, you know, continually learning, justice, Oh man, I just can't, I can't when I see things that seem unfair to me and I'm not trying to fix the whole world, but just in my own small sphere, I am big on things being equitable Um, and knowledge that kind of links up with growth, but you can have a lot of new knowledge and not have growth. (laughs) So I like to have both of those. And my, the last value that that I like, and I know, and there's a million of them. There's probably a hundred different words I could list that are all different types of values. Um, but the last one for me is nonconformity. I'm a big one on questioning norms and helping other people to do the same, you know, helping mm-hmm. myself and Which others. Which is what now. you're doing. Right. Like who what makes these rules? Do? Who says, you know, that that's where a lot of unhappiness comes from is conforming to a mold that somebody else has made for us. Thank you. That certainly helps me clarify. So I'll have to go look at the values exercise. <laughs> I'm right. pretty sure it does because I'm so happy. So maybe that's the, the thing. Yeah. Um, so let's transition a little uh, somewhat. So I think one of the I've I've heard and did I experience it somewhat? I experienced it um, in society, but uh, one of the common 
hit falls when we make a change in our lives, whether that's, you know, honestly eating healthier, quitting smoking, um, lowering or drinking uh, is, is pushback from other people in our lives, whether that as they just don't want you to change, right? If you're someone's drinking buddy, they certainly don't want you to pull back. I mean, that's cool. But even in career, there's, if you're in relationships, people are worried about if you're going to make less money, of course, right? And how do you navigate that? But then also just fear of you being not who you were. Uh, And so I actually found on one of your older blog posts that you had, I just want, I want to read this because I think it puts it in perspective, um, which we can cut out if you're not comfortable. But um, back when you were getting started, you said, I had a disappointing conversation this week with someone who had a great, um, had been a great supporter of my plan to build my private practice, which maybe we'll put some context to. The fears and concerns they presented had way more to do with them than me, and they knew it, but still, it was a bummer. I guess it made me feel um, even more determined to do this thing. Um, yes. <laughs> I've forgotten about that. <laughs> it was a while ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you've been it through it. And let's actually provide context first. So when we talk about you doing private practice, what are we? Uh, Mm. Yeah, I'm taking a really non-conforming path. I'm taking a non, an unconventional path here. There aren't many people in Alaska. There may be more than I'm aware of, but to my knowledge, this so sounds so crazy to say this. So again, I want to say I could be wrong, but as far as I've been told, I was the third person in Alaska to start a private practice prior to being licensed. And like I got out of school and I graduated on uh, April 28th and I opened my practice on May 1st. Um, It's a very unusual path. And a lot of it is because people think that you're not allowed to do that, which is not the case. Um, Everything I'm doing is legal and ethical. I've had and, and still have a supervisor um, just like I would if I'd gone to work at an agency or somewhere. Um, the only difference is I pay my supervisor out of pocket. So she's strangely my contractor and also in charge of not my business, but my counseling work. So I got a lot of pushback from people who were certain that I was doing something unethical or just, I don't know, people don't like it. And so there's that one that I wrote about, and I probably won't go too much more into that because I, the person is, I respect the heck out of them, but I could just see that they were in a position to be working with me and helping me along. And it was freaking them out because it was such a new thing to be doing. Um, but I can give another example of, I met a therapist who is just getting ready to start her own practice. And we met through that venue. We were both online. We're the only two women in Alaska on this national kind of teleconference um, about private practice and starting private practice. And so we're like, oh my gosh, we're both in Alaska. Let's meet. We went to a coffee shop, met up, and it turned out she had wanted to start her private practice right out of school, but she didn't think it was possible. So instead she went to work for an agency whose mission she didn't believe in, whose rules she didn't like, whose clients she wasn't really connected with, 
and she had done that to like put in her two years and then be able to start her own private practice. So when she sat down with me and heard that I was starting mine right out of the gate, she got really aggressive and I was shocked. I'm rarely speechless, but I just couldn't even think of anything to say because she was so aggressive with me and accusing me of being unethical and just incredulous that I would do something so terrible. And, but that was not the first time I'd heard that. I'd heard it from instructors. I'd heard it from other people in the psychology community uh, or counseling community. So, but it was just the first time it had come at me so hard from a stranger whom I thought we were meeting with shared values and could have supported each other. But again, like you mentioned that that wasn't, it wasn't about me. I knew that I was on solid footing. It was about, I thought, you know, and I don't know her at all. So I'm projecting here, but it seemed to me that this was about her own anger at not having pushed harder and asked the right questions so that she didn't have to spend two years in purgatory doing something she didn't want to do. And all that frustration toward herself was coming out on me. I don't know if that answers your question, but yes. Oh yeah, I want to get into more, but first I just want to provide, get a little deeper into the context. So to be, you graduate with a master's in, what's the technical therapy, counseling? Oh my, yeah, mine is a master's in counseling psychology. There's a bunch of different, yeah. So you graduate and then you have to work under somebody, right? Under their license essentially for so many hours before you can- Yeah. Thank you. I forget. I'm so steeped in it that I forget. Of course, not everybody knows all those details. Um, Yeah. You have to get, have 3000 hours of supervised practice under somebody who's licensed by the state of Alaska to provide that supervision. Um, And it's a certain number of hours of direct face-to-face client work and a certain number of hours meeting one-on-one with your supervisor, all kinds of things. And it can't take place over any less than two years. Um, mine took three years to do, but yeah, so you have easier, quicker, you get paid more easily if you're in an agency versus exactly you're getting paid instead of you having, yeah, you're getting paid instead of you having to pay for your supervision. You don't have to worry about finding clients. Yeah. It's it's just the normal route that every, that everybody does. So, yeah. So it was freaking people out. And I mean, I just had to really get used to asking the question, you know, when people say, oh, you can't do that. Well, what do you mean by can't? Like, you really have to dig in. And I, and that even meant going up against some people who have pretty high status in my own industry telling me it's not done. You can't do it. But when you ask the magic question of how do you know that? By what authority are you saying that? Can you point me to the regs or statutes? Can you? where are you getting your information? It turns out they got it from that guy over there and he got it from that woman over there. And it's like a lot of been done this way. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, the worst. I hate that. Yeah. I've always been done this way. So there wasn't a lot of there, there, as they say, like once I tried to dig down, there was nothing saying that I couldn't do this. And in fact, I had thankfully um, another woman who had blazed this trail before me who said, well, here's how I looked at it. Here's the rules. Here's the licensing, blah, blah, blah. She pointed me to all the stuff. And she's like, I know, in fact, it can be done because she got her own license 
did, did her 3,000 supervised hours in private practice in Alaska and was then now already supervising other people. So she gave me my little seed of hope, but you don't always have that. You know, sometimes there's nobody that's come before. Um, one of my favorite little stories was a snippet I read in Alaska Airlines magazine once by this woman who said, I always wanted to be a mermaid when I grew up. And people are like, bah, that's not a thing. You got to get an education and have a job. She found a way to be a mermaid for a living. She sews costumes and she is in like advertising campaigns and she's got all these different options and things. She has worked it out to literally be a mermaid for a living. And that is just my favorite story of like, when somebody says you you can't do something, yeah, that might be them saying they can't do it. They can't conceive of it. It doesn't maybe have an awful lot to do with you or your plans. So it sounds in a lot of ways like when we face that fear, I think it's helpful just to realize that you might face that, right? And that what you've said, that it might, it's probably about them and not you and have to it sounds like it's very helpful it has to come with from within you and actually just I'll read the rest or a little bit more on the same post you had which is I'm going to make this thing happen one way or the other and then you said the thing you need most as a small business owner maybe even more than a supportive group of friends and colleagues is belief in yourself if you don't know what you're doing and don't need this thing you're building, then it will be too easy to give up during the hard times. And you were talking about business owners, but I think it probably also applies for anyone switching careers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And for some reason, when you read that too, I was thinking of how that can apply to personal changes in people's life. I mean, maybe that takes us off of our core topic here, but, but, for, but I think about like you had mentioned people trying to make healthy changes in their life. Um, really is an affront to people around them. And I just remember like pre-pandemic when we were all still in offices and things at my own workplace, you know, I can eat Doritos and Mountain Dew every day for lunch, but the minute I make a salad, everybody wants to comment on it. Oh, oh, what are you doing? Getting healthy. Hmm. You know, like they've got something to say on it. And it's like, there's this weird let's keep everybody at our level kind of thing. And when anybody, try, I heard that in New Zealand or I think it's New Zealand, they call it tall poppy syndrome. You can't, you can't be too much of a tall poppy. You got to like get down and be at everybody else's level. Um, and all different cultures have all different versions of that. In Japan, they talk about like, you know, the nail that sticks up will be hammered down, like conformity, you know, anything outside of that, I realize I'm speaking with my hands and I'm on a podcast, so nobody can see my <laughs> <Right>. gesture. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, there's, there's a real thing in all different cultures about not standing out and just being part of the group. So, so yeah, it made, it made me think of that, like not only in career transitions, but anytime you're trying to do something, it can be very, anytime you're trying to change something about yourself, it can be very threatening to those close to you. And they may not even be able to articulate it, but what comes up for people is, are you going to abandon me to this new thing, this new lifestyle, this new self that you're becoming? Am I going to be left behind? Mm -hmm. And just understanding that that's what they're going through. That doesn't mean you have to attend to everybody's fears about it because that's somewhat for them to do, but understanding that that's what's behind it can make it feel less 
like a weight pulling you down. To share one resource that I realized really, I think did help me along these lines and for my whole transition in general is the book, uh, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, I think. Uh, Show notes, but I think I've listened to it probably three times. I read it, I listened to it and it helped with the transition and part of, now I'm trying to think of, well, maybe it'll come to me. He talks, the the premise of the book is about a limit problem. So there's a lot of different things that he covers in the book, but one of the big ones is an upper limit problem. So, um, you know, we were talking about other people kind of wanting you to stay at the status quo, but that our comfort, our own internal comfort often is at our status quo as well. Yeah. We become, you know, more successful or um, start eating and feeling better or, you know, do something better that's that's up above wherever our comfort zone is that he says, you know, we'll do something to sabotage to bring ourselves down in that area or a different area of our lives. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't read that one, but yeah, sounds like a valuable premise. Yeah. For other, as we thought about talking about career transitions, other things, topics that you wanted to add or suggestions for for listeners as we wrapping up a bit? I do. I have my little pile of books that I was thinking of, and I will mention a couple of them, but I can also um, send you the links to uh, share with people. Um, this one I love, and Liz, you probably are familiar with this one too, by Chris Gullaboo, is the book, um, The Art of Nonconformity. Um, you don't I, know that book, but I know oh. him. And so for listeners, he doesn't he do a podcast about, what's his podcast? I yeah, used the to side, hustle, side Hustle Podcast. Side, yeah, and he Side Hustle a, School, that book. Okay. Right. And he was originally, where he kind of gained notoriety, is that he decided to travel to every country in the world and has done so. And along the way, had to figure out how to make a living. So he started writing and had a blog, which led to this book, uh, The Art of Nonconformity, Set Your Own Rules, Live the Life You Want and Change the World. Um, and he's spoken pretty, pretty publicly too about his own battle with depression and loss and grief in the midst of all these things that he's creating. I love his story just because he shows you that you it's again, it's not a matter of can I, but how can I, and that things don't have to be perfect for you to make your life a little better. You don't have to wait until everything lines up. You can just start. Um, so I really like that one. And just um, quickly on. So for anybody listening, that's thinking about starting a business, I found side hustle school really helpful and people that have these little things that they some make into their full time or just have because ideas it was fun yeah it's funny I go both ways on that side hustle thing because I mean ostensibly my um, counseling practice has been my side hustle for years but to (laughs) me this is my this is my thing and the the job that has been paying for my daily life is my day job. I refer to that as my day job. And this is my, what I do and who I am. Um, and I, I have a, like a pushback part of my, my nonconformist thinking. I have a pushback to the side hustle thing 
that I heard because my daughter gets this a lot. She uh, she's a great baker. She makes vegan uh, yumminess <laughs> in ways that people would not know it's vegan. Um, just so good. She's so good at baking. And so many people have said, oh, you could start a business with that. And I don't remember where I saw it, but I shared it with her. And she's like, yeah, is the idea that you don't have to monetize your joy. So kind of contrary to what I was saying earlier is like, that may be the seeds of what is a path to your profession. It doesn't have to be. Some things can be just for you and not about money. But if you're, if you're looking for a transition and a way to enjoy your life and have money, I don't know. I, yeah. Side hustle. For I've been thinking who, a lot about this one lately. Have you? I had heard someone say it was on Seth Godin's podcast, but yeah. Yeah. And I think it just has to depend on who you are and where you are, what you want to do. Cause sometimes you'll take your joy and start selling, you know, your baked goods and then it becomes work and you don't like it anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. other times you can find something. Yeah, I guess where I'm struggling is because I work potentially too much. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> what I like doing. And so where's the, the line and um yeah and remembering anyway yeah I could go on and on but that's a good yeah yeah it is it's such a personal thing you have to sort out like in my well I was gonna say I've never made my art like my tangible artwork into my business but that's not true I've sold many things that I made and painted and but it never felt I never wanted to go to art school I never wanted to make a living from my art. I think I just needed to sell some of it because otherwise it takes up too much room in my house. <laughs> um, yeah, it's an interesting topic though. Um, I have a whole pile of books here, but the other one I want to make sure to mention because <coughs> excuse me, it's specific to maybe this topic and also just to my population. I work with women and with high achieving women um, and so there's a book um, called In the Company of Women, Inspiration and Advice from Over 100 Makers, Artists, and Entrepreneurs. And it's beautifully photographed. It's like a coffee table book. Um, I will show Liz my copy of it, which has a big old coffee splotch on it because it's literally on my coffee table. Um, but it's just a really nice profile. They ask very similar questions of all these women. Um, who are in business. And it can be really inspiring if you're not sure what your path is to just flip through here and see all the many possibilities. And, you know, they'll talk about what's, what's good and exciting about being an entrepreneur, excuse me, and what's, um, what's challenging about it, things they wish they had done differently, just, but it's just such a broad section of things that you can do for a living. Some of the things I was like, oh, I didn't even know that was a job or I didn't wouldn't have even thought. So it's a great place to kind of explore as you're dreaming about what might be next. Great. Well, thank you. I saw you had a couple of other books. Do you want to just tell us what they were? Yeah, I have my whole pile here. One is called, this is an older one, but it's by uh, Danielle Laporte and it's called The Firestarter Sessions. A Soulful and Practical Guide to Success on Your Own Terms. And I remember taking this one to the park many a summer day and going through and answering all the questions and everything. And it's just a lot of things to get you thinking. Um, and the last one is by a newer one called by Mira, Mira Lee Patel called 
my friend fear finding magic in the unknown. And that was a really important book to me too, just in addressing, I mean, yeah, anytime you're up against a transition, whether it's one that you planned and asked for, or one that's sort of thrust upon you that you weren't ready for, fear comes up, but it's, it can be managed. It's, you know, it doesn't need to stop you or overtake you um, from going on. So I thought, and it's also really beautiful. It's, it's uh, illustrated by her as well as written by her. Great. Uh, one last before I ask uh, how people can find you or work with you, but, and maybe this is uh, duplicative based on our topic, but I ask guests if there's a specific piece of advice on a particular, any life transition that you would want to share with the audience. Anything else other than? Hmm. I mean, maybe only to say that there's no difference between you and the people that you see living the life that you wish you had. And what I mean by that is there people are just people. They started somewhere. I guarantee that if you could open up their origin story and look at where they came from, there was a moment when they were eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and didn't have two pennies to their name. Or there was a moment when, you know, they just thought, how am I going to get out of this dead end job to something more satisfying you know, we're only seeing the end product when we look at people we admire or lives that we admire. And it's hard to remember that everybody started somewhere. And even people that look like they're done, there's still background struggles and things going on that you don't see, because that's not what we present to the world. But change is possible and possible for you. All right. I need to hear that. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Uh, where can people find you? People can find me at my website at counselingforher.com. And actually, I'm just going through a website revision that I'm very excited about. I, for the first time, hired somebody to do a nicer one than I was able to do. And so I'm hoping to have that debuted here in a month or two. Um, it's a great website as it is, though. People should oh, thank you. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I work with, like you said, um, women 18 years and older all over Alaska. My practice is all telehealth. So no matter where you are in Alaska, Juneau or anywhere, I actually have a couple of clients from Juneau that I love working with. Um, yeah, reach out to me. And uh, yeah, I would love to help support you in your transition, whether it's toward being an entrepreneur, your transition into you know, setting better boundaries, your transition out of heartbreak, out of grief into a happier life. All right. Well, thank you so much. That's all for this week. You can find show notes for this show and prior episodes and future episodes at lizsmithlaw.com. And if you're interested in scheduling a meeting with us to find out what your next step would be for your estate planning, visit us at bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Again, that's bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Or find the link at lizsmithlaw.com. We look forward to seeing you again right here, same place, same time, two weeks from now. Thank you so much.